um, above Westminster's Abbey. Uh, the, I think it's the West Wall at Westminster Abbey. There are ten statues, and these statues are statues that commemorate. It's a representative of, of the breadth of the church. Believers, recent believers who have been martyred for the faith, who have died because of their beliefs that they have considered their life uh, worthy to give for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, so you've got people up there like Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Esther John, and you also have got Maximilian Colby, and this is him here. Can you put this up, Ian? No, you can't. <laughs> is it Is it coming? Maximilian, there he is. He was born in Poland in 1894 and he entered a Franciscan monastery in 1910. In 1914, he became a monk and then he decided to travel to Rome um, where he was going to study his doctorate and he came out with a, a doctorate in philosophy. Then the Great War started in 1918. And Colby uh, felt it only right to return to his native land of Poland. By the beginning of 1939, Colby was a very um, uh, active priest. He had travelled a lot in Asia. He had, uh, he had uh, established a monastery in Japan. No easy feat, I would imagine. But he was now back in Poland and he was being very creative in reaching the masses through radio, that early medium of contact and so many people. He was an innovative man who gathered a lot of young priests and monks around about him. He was a godly man. He was a, a good guy. And he was a person, I would imagine, who would be very interesting to spend time with, uh, Maximilian Colby. But then in 1939, the Nazis invaded Poland. And many of his colleagues decided to, to get out. It was far too dangerous. And we know at this side of history how dangerous it was for anyone in Poland. And yet Maximilian Kolbe decided that his calling was to the people of Poland. And so he stayed put. His mother was Polish. His father was uh, ethnic German. And so when the Nazis came in, Vanessa, forgive my German pronunciation here. Vanessa's uh, German, right? But he was asked to sign the Deutsche Volker Lista. She's not got a clue. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, this Deutsche Volker Lista was... Um, the Germans, uh, the Nazis in particular, were trying to look at the Jewish... The, the, the Polish population and, say, and seeing who is beneficial to the Third Reich, who is beneficial to make uh, our plan succeed. And so if you were an ethnic German, like Colby was, then you could sign up and you would get certain privileges. But it was at the expense of others. And Maximilian Colby refused to sign this. And by doing that, he stuck his head above the parapet. He refused to sign that which would give advantage to him over others. 
And so his monastery uh, became known as a place, like uh, a hospital, especially for soldiers who were um, part of the resistance. But not only was it a, a hospital, but he also would produce tracts and get that out there into Poland, trying to encourage Polish people. And he would also take in refugees. Most notably, he took in Jewish refugees. And at one point, he was harboring against the Nazis 2,000 Jewish refugees in his monastery. So it was a significant size monastery, and that's a significant number of people. The Nazis did not miss this. And so, in, um, I think it was June 1941, Colby was arrested by the Nazis. He was sent to prison, but that was only a stepping stone, a bridge, before he was sent to the dreaded Auschwitz. The picture you can see in the back is the entrance to Auschwitz, where the trains would come in. And his prison number was 16,670. And in that place, no surprise to us, he experienced a brutal regime. He was stripped of his uh, priestly robes. He was donned in the striped pajamas. He was simply prisoner 16,670. But because some of the guards knew of his religious background, knew that he was pastoral and would go about helping people, there are occasions where he was hospitalized due to the brutal treatment of certain guards. There was a, an unwritten rule, well, there was a very, not a, it was unwritten maybe, but there was a rule in Auschwitz. If someone in your barricade escaped, 10 others would be put to death for that one person who escaped. And it just so happened that in July 1941, one person from Colby's barracks escaped. And the whole barrack, and I can't imagine how many men it was, probably only just men, were brought out to stand in front of the Nazi commander who went and numbered 10 men from that assembly who would be put to death by starvation because of one man who managed to escape. One of the men who was picked out from the line um, cried out in anguish because he had a wife and he had children and he fell on his knees begging the merciless Nazi commander. And it was at that point, this is actual testimony of what Colby said. He says, I'm a Catholic priest from Poland. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. Maximilian Colby's offer was accepted. Here's the, the words of the saved man. He wrote much later. I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on. The immensity of it. The condemned man to live while someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me, a stranger. Is this some dream? I was put back in my place without being able to say anything to Maximilian Colby. I was saved. 
Colby and the other nine prisoners were led to an underground bunker. Colby at the front of the line. They were led to this underground bunker where they would be put uh, to starve to death, which took many weeks. At that point, as he was being led quietly, but certainly, he was praying and singing hymns. And during those weeks in the underground bunker, when all of these men were starving to death, a guard was sent every now and then to check the condition of the prisoners. And although their spirits were weaker and physically life was ebbing from them, the guard always reported that there was singing and there was praying and that the centre of that was the Catholic priest. This was his church. This was his congregation. And unto death he ministered the grace and the love of Jesus Christ to him. Oh, amazing. There came a point where they needed the underground bunker to kill some more prisoners. And so a German, who it was his task, under duress, he was to go in there and to uh, administer a lethal injection. And he found one man barely alive, Maximilian Colby, the rest had withered and died. And the testimony of that one man years later was that Maximilian knew what was about to happen and he offered his arm to the, the German guard. Following the end of World War II, Maximilian Colby's story became known and he was canonized and he was sainted by the Roman Catholic Church, the saint of Auschwitz, Maximilian Colby. Can you give me the next slide, Ian? The text that Elaine just read for us there. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person or a righteous person. Though someone might possibly be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The emphasis here is that God does not wait for us to become upright, righteous, or good before he intervenes and offers salvation and redemption. That is the thrust of these verses in a much larger passage that Paul is teaching to the church at Rome. God comes and pursues us wherever we are. Oh, outrageous grace. Two things I want to, three things I want to bring out from these. Ian, just bring up the, the, the next slide. And the first thing is this, at just the right time from that passage, at just the right time, we in the past have sang the song, God never says oops. In other words, God cannot be surprised. You cannot sneak up in God and give him a fright. He knows all past, present, and future. He is out with all, and yet he is as intimate as your breath. 
He wants to know us and us to know him as lovers know one another. You cannot sneak up in God. He knows. Galatians 4 verse 4 says that also. But when we, but when the time set had fully come, but when the time that was set had fully come, this was the moment like no other moments God sent his son. And you know the words from Peter in the first ever sermon after Pentecost. He stood up amongst the people and he said, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know, because you saw them. But you followed, sorry, but you followed God's prearranged plan. But you, unbeknown to you, were involved in God's plan. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed Jesus to the cross and murdered him. Because God allowed that to happen. The events of Calvary did not sneak up in Jesus. He was not overwhelmed but like a snowball going down a large hill that suddenly gets bigger and bigger before you can't get out of the way of it. Jesus knew fully and well what was happening and he set his face towards Jerusalem to the cross at just the right time. In that little place in the Middle East called Jerusalem, called Golgotha, Jesus died for all. This week I was speaking to someone in the church family who was telling me about their mother who was withering away with dementia. And that person said to me, I just want the Lord to take her away. There is none of her character is there anymore. Why not now? And although there is no answer to that, both of us know that God is in control. And just at the right time, he will beckon that dear lady into glory. Where in her right mind, she will see her face, Savior face to face. Biblical time always goes somewhere. It always has a purpose. It doesn't ground in circles. Biblical time has a purpose. At just the right time. When we were utterly helpless, when we were sinners, and I'm sorry if you don't like to refer to yourself as utterly helpless, and you hate that idea of calling yourself a sinner, maybe you think of yourself as, I'm, I'm okay, I, I don't murder people, I don't do anything wrong, I pay my taxes, and all of that sort of stuff. Maybe that's how you see yourself. Maybe not upright, but you're, you're, you're good, you're all right. Maybe someone would die for you. Maybe you're that special that someone would. Maximilian Colby believed that Franchik Goyanovchik was worth dying for. And I'll say that again. Colby believed that Goyanovchik was worth dying for. The condemned man, this is a testimony of Goyanovchik, the condemned man to live while someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me, a stranger. It was a choice of Colby. He chose to pick up his cross and do what he believed Jesus would do at that moment. I was put back in my place 
without being able to say anything to Maximilian Colby, I was saved. In the film Private Ryan, I can't remember if it's the beginning or it's the end, but there's a scene where the older Private Ryan is in front of, um, is it James Miller, I think it is, um, his grave, uh, Tom Hanks in the film. And a sea of graves commemorating the fallen soldiers. And he falls and his wife comes to him and he says something. He says this. I wrote this down. Tell me, he says to his wife, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Guy Novacek lived to 94 and he died in 1995. Did Guy Novacek live a good life? Was he a good man? Colby didn't know, would never know. It wasn't a prerequisite either. Colby simply stepped in the place of a man who was weeping uncontrollably because he wouldn't see his wife and children again. And the compassion of Jesus overtook him and he says, I'm simply a Catholic priest who has taken the orders and I will step in this man's place. Why? Because I believe my Saviour has stepped in my place also. Who knows if Guy Novacek was upright husband. Who knows if he was a good guy. But he was like absolutely every single one of us. Whether we consider ourselves upright, good or not. We're all in need of a saviour. Absolutely all in need of a saviour. Utterly helpless. Some of us utterly helpless in Auschwitz. Christ died for us. Here is a historical moment that God planned from the beginning of time by which he sends his one and only begotten son into the world to die on a cross in a historic one in a lifetime, one in a history event. The event at Calvary, at Golgotha, can never be repeated it can never be duplicated. It can never be surpassed. Jesus did not die for the upright. Jesus did not die for the good. Jesus died for the utterly helpless, for the sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And in case you don't know that word sinners, which is quite a religious word, here's what a sinner is. A transgressor of God's law. So that we can say that while we were being actively disobedient, by being a sinner, we are in a state of rebellion against God. By being a sinner, we are hostile to God. By being a sinner, we ignore God. By being a sinner, we refuse to submit to God's will, the good, good Father's will. By being a sinner, we're refusing to love him. By being a sinner, we're refusing to worship him. And all of that is happening in the life of a sinner. Jesus died for you and for me. Colby believed that Gajanovicic was worth dying for. Colby believed that Gajanovicic was worth starving to death for. He believed that it was worth all that Auschwitz could throw at him. The world, the powers of darkness, 
all of mankind through absolutely everything. A man from Nazareth, who was Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, a carpenter who was a rabbi and who from the very ages of 12 taught the religious leaders such was his understanding. He was a miracle maker. He was a great teacher that actually has shaped the Western world up until this day. But he was not just a religious man. He was not just a good man. He claimed to be I am. He claimed to be God. And God stepped onto that cross for us. We remember that today. For Douglas, for Vanessa, for John, for Betty, for me, for Otto, for Luca. Because God so loved us. Hallelujah, we remember that in this day. As we do others who have died for our freedom, Christ has given us fullness in life. Can we pause and pray with those thoughts and with the testimony of Maximilian Colby in our minds and just pray before Douglas comes back up. Thank you, Father, for that very real story of Maximilian Colby. I thank you that it is recent history. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Guy Novacek. I thank you for that which has survived, that encourages us, opens our eyes, shows us how you have worked through people, shows us and reminds us what you have done for us in Calvary. I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've made us fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that you've, you don't expect us to be good and upright to come and to know you. I thank you that you just beckon us. And I thank you that you get dirt under your fingernails, that you've come and you've lived. You know what it feels like to be human. And yet, Jesus was without sin. He lived the life that honoured you, Father. Help us with how we feel at this moment to grasp how you feel about us. Help us to get that in perspective, that you have loved us with a love which is unsurpassable, unsurpassable. There is no love like it. And that you've made us, and that you love us, and that you pursue us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.